talk about favorite fall traditions with our families. We'll have our six in the mix trivia, a favorite of ours and hopefully our fans. Our hot topic focus is on the presidential debate and oh, what a debate it was. Calling your shot, Ryan will lead us through that. And as always, feel good story of the week by Ben and the devotional fix your eyes. Ethan will lead us in that. So Jeremy, why don't you take it away? Thanks, Matt. To begin this segment tonight, I thought it good to reflect on the fact that fall is a wonderful reminder that God is quite the artist. The trees and colors seem to put everybody in a hot chocolate, warm cider, caramel coffee drink kind of mode. And the loved ones seem a little bit more special, especially as we anticipate those holidays as they roll around. Tonight, we will each give testimony of our favorite family tradition in the fall. Even though each of us come from different parts of the country, it's always great to hear and discuss the things that we have incorporated into our family's lives during the apple picking, leaf raking, wood splitting, festival going, pumpkin spice drinking, light the first fire of the year part of the season. So with that, I will pick one of you here to start off with and give us your favorite fall tradition. I'm going to kick it over to Don. Tell us about yours. Boy, I don't know if I can... That that intro just gave me tingles. I mean, I'm just like, I can't wait to get uh, fall started here. Uh, That was fantastic. So, um, you know, one of the things that uh, my family has been doing the last couple uh, last couple years, uh, we have been usually we did we did the uh, apple orchards and things like that. But now because of MEA being in the fall and for Minnesota, that's a for, uh, that's for our our kids' school, full week. We actually uh, have been heading down to Branson for for a week, uh, or at least uh, four four days, and uh, taking part of the festivities at Branson. If if you guys have been down to Branson, I can't recommend it enough. Um, the shows, the music. Um, we are uh, going to be also. Uh, we always. We always do two shows. The first one is a, is a family show called The Hay Goods. And uh, then we go to Sight and Sound, which is, if you've never heard of Sight and Sound, is an incredible, incredible production based on a Bible story. And they have live animals. They have incredible theatric it's a good, incredible theatrical production that something you you won't see maybe if you were only on Broadway. I it's just absolutely stunning, and the production this year is going to be Jonah. So we are going to be seeing Jonah. We've seen uh, Joseph. 
or I'm sorry, Moses and Joseph and Samson. So we are very excited about this one. Can't wait to go down there and see that production um, and also maybe partake or catch up on some other some other groups. There's another family act I want to see called the Petersons uh, that I just got into. And they're from Branson and do some good bluegrass and gospel music. And it's it's going to be fantastic. I can't wait to leave, leave it next week. So always going fun to go down there to the Ozarks. We uh, also try to get to our, our favorite restaurant called Getting Basted. It's a barbecue joint, and it's fantastic. It's got the best ribs of I've ever had. And also, we have to stop by one of the farmhouse uh, restaurants there and pick up some cobbler. So, going to visit down, go down to the Ozarks. Can't wait. Looking forward to it. That's Man, one of the I, I've heard about Sight and Sound. I've had several several staff members who have actually been part of, uh, gone to their productions, and they've they same thing. They their reviews are just absolutely unbelievable. They just tell me you got to get there. And so that kind of excites me too to to think about the possibility of doing that. That is that is neat. Well, sounds good, Ben. Uh, what about you and your family? So in our family, we have a ton of fall birthdays. So it seems like our variety of activities are usually surrounded around a family or friends' birthday get together, uh, the apple orchards, a lot of that sort of thing. And then my youngest, he's eight, but he loves to decorate for the holidays, any holiday. So he gets into Halloween, getting all the house set up for Halloween and carving pumpkins and then roll into the Thanksgiving decorations and then on to Christmas after that. But we usually spend one full weekend kind of per season decorating for the different things. My youngest son is just loves loves doing that activity. So not as elaborate as Don's uh, week-long trip to Branson, but <laughs> we uh, we do enjoy the the seasons changing and uh, enjoy some time, a lot more time than maybe other, other parts of the year with getting together with family and celebrating birthdays. That's good. Ethan, how about you guys? Yeah, for me, um, growing up, I think out West, there were lots of really fun family traditions, usually involving the outdoors, um, a lot of hikes, a lot of camping trips, a lot of backpack trips, hunting, things like that. Um, but I think since my wife and I had kids, we've um, done, started doing a couple of fall traditions that ha- have just been a lot of fun to see and experience through their eyes. Um, one of them that our favorite is there's a, a farm um, about 30 minutes away from us that uh, the owners decorate every um, Halloween, uh, every every fall. And um, there's just a ton of things to do for kids. And so we often invite um, multiple families from our small group at church go. And there's everything from hay rides to um, boats to all kinds of bounce houses and all the other things. Pumpkin patches, obviously, you can pick your pumpkin. Uh, but they also have a, uh, a pumpkin cannon. And so you can pay a dollar and shoot pumpkins out. Um, and they have different targets and stuff like that. And so it's just, there's just a ton of things about that that are fun that, that our boys look forward to every year, massive slides and everything else. Uh, and so we enjoy that. Um, but we also do other things where we have uh, s'mores. We actually did our first um, s'mores night in our backyard this weekend over a fire pit um, and carving pumpkins and different things like that. So yeah, usually a lot of things that are geared more towards the age of our boys. Uh, but those have been family traditions for us. That sounds like fun. I, I, I have seen 
not a pumpkin cannon, but I've seen the catapults that kind of throw them and, and, you know, kind of competitions that go, that kind of intrigues me a little bit, but it's kind of fun to watch all that. It's pretty amazing to watch a basketball sized pumpkin go flying through the air and, uh, and hit a target, you know, a couple hundred feet away. <laughs> yeah, that is great. Well, what's Ryan, that the medieval, what's the medieval thing called Jeremy? It's what the trebuchet. Am I saying that right? That's like the old medieval thing that flings, uh, flings that pumpkin. Ethan would know. Dr. Dobson, what do you got? <laughs> yeah, trebuchet? I, I, I believe Am I saying that right? You're correct. Super. Well, right, or Matt, since you're talking, what, what's, your, uh, what's your family traditions? Yeah, so even, even when we were back living in Minnesota, which now is over, was over nine years ago since we lived there, we always used to go to uh, a pumpkin farm and uh, certainly enjoyed that. Uh, since we've come down to Ohio, uh, they've got some Amish country, and so we've gone We've gone to Amish country and some apple orchards, but we this year just found another pumpkin farm that's very similar to what Ethan was describing, the the one that they go to down in North Carolina. But uh, some of the favorite activities that we had there is they've got actually potato slingshots. So they would have large like plywood cutouts of animals and you would get these small little potatoes in a slingshot and just <laughs> Sayla and I just had so much fun launching little potatoes at these things and smashing them. And then they had like tractor pulls where not like, not like the ones you think where the tra- tractors actually, you know, fired up and gassed up or anything, but they were actually just tractors there and you had to pull them and they had a small one, a medium one and a large one. And so uh, we had a lot of fun there. Um, and then the corn maze, R- little Ruby wasn't real thrilled about that 20 minutes in, but, uh, the corn <laughs> maze was pretty fun. Uh, so we certainly enjoyed that. And then lately we've actually hosted Thanksgiving, which is something that my mom and dad, uh, did. We just had Thanksgiving at our house and now we've started to host, uh, I would say probably the last three, four, maybe even five years, whether it's my folks coming down or, uh, my cousin and his family coming down, we've, we've hosted Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving is a very special holiday for, for me. Uh, I really enjoy it maybe the most out of any. And, uh, and so we're looking to host that again. So Thanksgiving's a big one. Oh, that's good. Sounds, it's, that sounds fun. It seems like you've got multi-generational things going on there, which is, which is a good thing to hear. Ryan, how about you? Well, I would say my favorite fall traditions back in college involved going to Jeremy's family's house in Ohio. That was a lot of fun where we could uh, play games, play video games, play passer, defender, receiver, uh, meet some homeless folks. I mean, the good times were always rolling in that college, college age tradition down in Ohio. But that that was fun. We did that a couple of years and eating banana bread in the backseat, heading down there. That was a lot of fun, too. Um, But currently, present day, I I think of a couple of traditions we have. They're pretty simple. They're, They're basic. And I think because I'm older now, I enjoy them more. So we like to drive to different parts of Rochester on a given Saturday afternoon and, and look at when the leaves are changing colors. Uh, we, we have different spots in Rochester where we have quite a few trees. And so I'll just stop by quick trip and we'll all get something to eat or drink and just kind of tour around parts of Rochester for 30 minutes to an hour. We actually went up to Duluth last year around this time to get an extra dose of that in, but it was already pretty cold and we, we'd missed a lot of the colors. Uh, so that was, that was a bummer, but it sounds like a lot of people, even, even in this group have thought about or gone to Duluth already this year, but yeah. And then the other thing I, I would say we do annually is, uh, we watch a cartoon 
called Spookanny uh, with Woody Woodpecker. That is that is a great a great time for <laughs> for three of us. And uh, I show my daughters the cartoon. It's probably a 60, 70 year old cartoon. I've noticed that on YouTube sometimes cartoons get taken down. There must be a copyright issue. Uh, but I was able to find find one the other day. Mia and I watched it, so that was that was kind of fun. Did you say Hootenanny? I said Spookanny. 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 It's a it's a Halloween based cartoon with Woody Woodpecker that we get we get a good laugh out of. Yeah, Spookanny. YouTube, but again, it's going to be tough to find the full episode. But if you look hard enough, you'll find it. Is it in black and white? Right. It, it is not. I've never heard of it. Yeah, it's it's a good one. No, it's not black and white. It it is colored, and it's not the old Woody Woodpecker who's got the really stocky legs. Uh, it's it's the newer Woody Woodpecker, but not the not the most recent Woody Woodpecker. But uh, yeah, can you can you give us just some insight as to what tripped you into this? Before we go there, any nonsense? before we go there, did any, just a quick poll? Did anybody else know that there's been multiple Woody Woodpeckers? <laughs> yeah, I, I Neg- negative. I didn't know that. Everybody's no. shaking their head. No. no, this 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 story so, is fraught, <laughs> fraught and littered with with uh, with. We have to go back. Also, you bring the family to cook trip for dinner. <laughs> no, go all out there, Pa. No, not dinner for a snack. So yeah, like you got John at the high echelon eating at all the nice mm-hmm. ritzy stuff, and then you got Ryan down here going, maybe I can just you know squeak out a few. Look for change in the, you know, seats. Just see if we can get enough for a, a latte. Oh, they got egg rolls on, on for a dollar a piece. Let's do it. <laughs> oh, no, it's an, again, it's an afternoon trip, so we're looking for a light snack, a light beverage, just to make the experience a little bit more enjoyable. I can't believe there's no Little Debbies that have been provided for you and your family. I, I just can't believe that that's, you know, not part of the tradition. We Yeah, we, we are fresh out of Little Debbies, but I do like those uh, – what are those uh, crispy snacks at Quick Trip? There, you know what I'm talking about. There's chocolate on top and like peanut butter. Yeah, Ben, you know yes. what I'm talking about. Those yes. are great. Yes. So that's that's my go-to, especially when they're on sale for a dollar. I love it when they go down to a dollar. Oh man, I'm seeing a new agenda item. <laughs> quick Quick Trip specials. The person who's out of that is Don. He's, he doesn't even know what a Quick Trip is. Oh. All right. <clears throat> well, it sounds like to me, it sounds like. Everybody has, you know, a really neat little tradition for for our family. We do something kind of similar. Um, However, you know, we 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 have taken one or two weekends to drive down to a a place called Princeton, which is uh, just a real rural little farm town. And they do this huge. It's not a rummage sale. It'd be more like a, a flea market kind of thing. But they have all the fall stuff and and it's just very seasonal. And so from the mums to the pumpkins to, you know, the vegetables that are just finishing up in people's gardens and the Amish are there with their fresh baked goods. And it's just wonderful. Um, So we take we take a Saturday and we go down there and we just enjoy the time walking around. Um, looking at all the vendors, of course, all my my boys go right to all the vendors that have, you know, knives and swords and all that kind of fun stuff. So they're all hooked into that. They come back asking for money. Um, my wife is buying every craft in the uh, in the place. Uh, my daughter and I typically just kind of walk around and take it in. So we're, we're kind of on the same same uh, wavelength there, but it's still enjoyable for all of us. 
uh, to walk down there and do that. But one of the things that we have decided that we're going to try to do is we, we understand that people like to do this kind of thing. And what we're going to do at our house is we're going to, and I, we planted some pumpkins this year to test run and uh, we got some great pumpkins and uh, some of the uh, fall vegetation that you would uh, expect to buy. So we're going to try to do something like that at our place, our little farm farmette that we've bought uh, to make our place a little destination um, so that people can come and primarily for people in our church. But we want to do it as a little bit of a ministry to bring people who maybe don't have the opportunity to go do that and to bring them in and say, hey, you want a pumpkin? Take a pumpkin. You want some some fall decorations for the outside porch? Here you go. And uh, to make it to make it something special for somebody else who maybe is a little bit less fortunate than we have been. And so we look at uh, our tradition as maybe changing a little bit. I can identify with uh, most of you, though, with the idea of Thanksgiving as well. Uh, We traveled to Ohio to visit uh, my mom and and family uh, there. And so we continue to do that. Uh, we've done. I've done that since I've moved to Minnesota, was in college, and you guys were part of some of those trips and uh, still do, do that today and uh, have some wonderful you know, memories on the road all the way down I-65 there. And gives me time, especially because we travel at night with all the kids. It's just a lot simpler. They go to sleep and I just have some time to think and pray. Get to uh, my mom's place about two or three in the morning, depends on when we leave. But it's just a special time there. So it sounds like we all have great traditions, things that we really enjoy doing. And uh, it's a good, good discussion. I'm going to throw it back to Matt for trivia. That's right. You know what time it is. It is six in the mix trivia time. We've got a couple great uh, trivia questions today. Uh, we're going to open with a, uh, a Bible question. Bible question. Again, name is your buzzer. Are you guys ready? Old New Testament. Uh, I, I'm actually going to let you know on this one, Don. It says Old Testament. Oh, this is Old Testament. Biblical history or Google history? <laughs> well, it's interesting. Why don't you let me read the question and uh, I'll tell you, because I actually built it into the question. So according to Genesis, not Google, what did Melchizedek give to Abram? And what did Abram give to Melchizedek? Should probably get the Jeopardy theme music here. So what did Melchizedek give to Abram? And what did Abram give back to Melchizedek? Ryan. Melchizedek gave Abram a blessing and Abram gave Melchizedek a tithe. I'm sorry, that is incorrect. And it's incorrect because it's not fully what we're looking for. <laughs> it's, it, <laughs> it's a good start. It's a good start. It's not quite all the way. So what did Melchizedek give to Abram and what did Abram give to Melchizedek? These are actual physical things physical things i was going to accept blessing it just uh i'm missing two parts two more things i'll ethan go ahead i'll 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 jump ryan i was thinking the same thing as you but uh given the extra information i know now i will say (laughs) melchizedek gave abram a blessing 
And Abram gave Melchizedek a tithe of sheep and goats that he had taken in battle. That's a similar answer to Ryan. We're looking for actually two more items that actually Melchizedek gave to Abram. It's in Genesis 14. Any other guesses? I guess the only guess I would have was that Melchizedek gave him something that was, I don't know, gold or silver, maybe? Well, it's uh, it's a bit more basic than that. What do you got, Jeremy? Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just guessing. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, so after, uh, after I believe, Abram came back from, from housing some kings, uh, Melchizedek met him and gave him bread and wine. And Abraham or Abram in turn gave him a tenth of all that he had. So the tithe. So I'd be willing to go a half point for Ryan on that one. Um, but again, I was looking for the bread and the wine that Melchizedek physically gave to to Abram as well for the full point. Fair enough. Yep. Thank you. You are, a, you are a gracious moderator. I appreciate the half point. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate all the fisticuffs in the video that I was seeing too. <laughs> did it did it help earn me a half a point, or were you going to go higher? No, I was. Uh, I it was. It took all that I had to still give you the half point after that show of uh, show Love. of cavalier. Yeah. <laughs> For a minute there, uh, I was reminded of Mike Tyson's punch out. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. So that's in Genesis 14. If you guys want to go check it out. I believe the only Old Testament, well, that in Psalms are the only two Old Testament references to Melchizedek. And then for extra credit, what's the what's the book in the New Testament right. that go ahead. Hebrews. Hebrews. Yeah, Hebrews uh spells it out a little bit more. There's no points for that one. That was just uh oh. to make you feel better. Okay. Yeah. All right, you guys ready for the music trivia? Let's do and it. I'm pumped up about this one. Let's do it. All right. As usual, your name is your buzzer. Here we go. What a great intro, man. Yeah, let's kick it. I know the group. Mm-hmm. Man, I played the mess out of this CD. Whew. Uh, Ethan. Go ahead, Ethan. Is it is it Shine News Boys? Oh, it's like that's like a half win and a half loss. Mm. It's Newsboys, but it's not Shine. It's Ryan. 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 Newsboys. It's a spirit thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's actually just called Spirit Thing. It's not It's a Spirit Thing. Oh, good night. (laughs) It's a No points for that. No points. No points, Ryan. Put him up, buddy. <laughs> Mike Tyson is out of retirement. <laughs> For all of you just so, listening, Ryan's not even on the screen. He just laughed. He's gone. <laughs> he's he's taking a break. <laughs> so so yeah, I think Ethan definitely gets a half point. Um, and 
I don't know. It's yeah. It's you got to get the name of the the song right, and it's a uh, spirit thing. Spirit thing. What do you guys remember that song? Oh yeah. What what were you guys' thoughts? Because you know, obviously, there's a couple of hymns way back in the day that talked about the spirit, but not too many songs. You know, regular songs talked about that was kind of one that kind of popped out. That that one grippy, or was that kind of like eh? What were your thoughts when that one came out? That mute that song stuck in my head all the time. The shine, uh, the, the chorus just just continually would play over and over in my head. I don't know why. It, it was a it was a catchy tune. I don't really know if I really understood the significance or thought much about the significance of it with the words and stuff like that. I just love the tune, love the love the words. I mean, as as I started to you know, delve into it a little bit more, but man, it was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Any other thoughts on that song? Well, I just remember Ryan singing that nonstop um, at the end of dorm meetings when Ethan would get done and he would start in with the uh, the chorus, bouncing around, bumping around, and I just I'm with I'm with I'm with <laughs> what? You don't remember just singing that in our ears all the time? Uh, did, which, did I ever sing? Shine. shine or spirit thing? No, no, no. I'm talking about shine. I'm talking about shine, not the spirit shine. thing. Shine. Oh, shine. Yeah. I mean, you were always singing that song. Was I really? I I, oh. I never fancied myself much of a newsboys person. Every time you'd win something on your on your video game or something, you'd hit each hit somebody an elbow and shine, make them wonder <laughs> what you got. I'm like, okay, you got great game skills with your thumbs. Wonderful. <laughs> I don't think that's what the Man, song I, is. You know, you would sing that I, all the time. I tell you what, I. Again, like I said, I'm not much of a newsboys person. They weren't really in my genre, but they. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I, I, Ethan would Ethan would play them all the time. Can, can, well, that's true, Ethan. And can, I love can I you love that? Can you back up Jeremy's assertion here that I would sing one of those songs all the time while playing a video game? You just I don't rem- that I don't phrase. Remember that's you, it. I don't remember it being all the time. I remember it occasionally, but <clears throat> I don't remember it being all the time. I do remember that CD being the unofficial official soundtrack to all soccer road trips for <laughs> the fall that it came out. That's true. Yeah, I thought Ethan might have uh, an inside track on this one. And again, I guess I maybe I should pit, stick to main tracks from that long ago, but I try to go a little bit deeper. I just I love that intro to Spirit thing. It's a it's a good one. You know, um, you know the song I always remember uh, Ryan singing Tick. It's seven o'clock. <laughs> what was that song? I don't oh, even know. That was Matt. That was Matt. That's was that Matt? Matt? <laughs> yeah. It was, it, was, it, was, it was Adam Taylor. I'm getting a lot of ideas for future weeks. So <laughs> I, really am, yeah. I, that. I, I wish I wish I could remember these things as well as you guys do. But <laughs> going, going back to Matt's question about the song itself, I appreciate the fact that they're pointing out some of the work of the Holy Spirit and how the work of the Spirit comes across in our lives. But to me, it sounds a little bit light, a little bit, uh, I don't want to say irreverent, but maybe I'm, uh, again, riding the fence again on both sides. I can see I can see what they're saying, and I appreciate the work that the Spirit does in our lives, but I don't know, a Spirit thing? Yeah, I yeah. I'm, not, I'm not huge on that. It was interesting as I thought about it and as I listened to it, the thing that jumped out to me was the use of the pronoun that they used and they use it's, it's a, it's a spirit thing. It's a holy nudge. It's like a circuit judge in the brain. I would love it if they, they switched it to he's like a, 
because it's it's much more personal. It's not just some like you know cosmic force. Um, it's a very personal. I mean, it's a uh, it's <laughs> it's the triune God in the in, in the form of the Spirit. So you know, he's he's personal. He's a person, not an it. So I think that listen to that again. I think that's what jumped out to me. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I remember the previous college I, I attended before I met you all. Actually, it was two colleges before that. <laughs> my first college <laughs> where this kind of music was definitely forbidden. My friend and I, we went to the mall and we would sample some of the Christian music there at the mall. And I remember that was the year that their album, Take Me to Your Leader, came out. And it was just so weird going and listening to this music and opening up the CD and seeing, I think it was like a green alien head coming coming out of do you guys do you guys remember that from that cd yeah so that, that's what that's what i remember in my history from newsboys primarily wow yeah i think going public the one that shine and spirit things on was my is, is still my favorite newsboys one and then they've had some great songs as of late right that kind of linked into you know movies or movies linked into them however it worked but uh yeah they've been a great band through the years for sure all right good stuff that wraps up uh, six in the mix trivia uh, for this week, uh, even though Don had a great Price is Right background, not uh, not a whole lot of points for that, but that's all right. We'll get back to Firehouse, Don. We'll give you a shot. Appreciate it. Give Good you a somebody. shot in the future. <laughs> give me a chance to uh, That's it. Hey, want to move on to uh, to our hot topic. Uh, the presidential, the first presidential debate went off a few days ago and just wanted to get your thoughts. Thoughts on who won? What was your favorite part? What was your least favorite part? What impact will it have uh, on the election? So. Who would like to share their thoughts first? Well, I think it, we can all agree it was a incredibly massive train wreck. I mean, watching that thing from from start, I, well, actually, I couldn't watch it from start to finish. I watched about the first hour, and then I had to shut it off. Um, but the thing that struck me, though, was that despite all that that happened in that uh, debate, I don't think one one party was, you know, or one individual one individual was going to sway, you know, uh, a voter one way or the other in that. I don't think there were any winners in that debate. But it did annoy me that Chris Wallace, the host or moderator, was just a, a complete buffoon the whole time. I mean, the guy would uh, was was try, made it more about him than the than the two candidates when he would try to interject him, himself into it. And that really bugged me. I think uh, Trump had Biden on the ropes a couple of times. And I'm specifically thinking of the time when they were talking about um, uh, Trump was asking Biden to name a law enforcement agency that was backing him. And Biden was just kind of ignoring it and Trump was going after him. And then Wallace stopped, steps in and bails Biden out. Like, you know, tries to move on. Let's go on. Let's talk about something else. You know, I mean, I just, I was, I was really turned off by the moderator and these moderators are just going to get worse. I mean, I mean, that was supposed to be the, the, the Fox News was supposed to be the one that, you know, helps Trump. But even though Wallace is a registered Democrat, it's still it's going to be a, a train wreck once again in the next one, just because I think the next moderator was an intern of Biden at one time. So it's not going to get any better. Well, hands down, my favorite part was when they got to one of their squabbles of, you know, however many were the night. <clears throat> Biden starts talking. OK, number one, and then starts talking and then he says something else. And then Trump interjects and says that you were on number two, by the way, and then went off and went on in his thing. It was just a humorous moment. Amber and I were both watching this. We were disengaged from the entire show, if you will. 
And we got our attention back on that when he made that simple little snide comment, which was to me hilarious. And it would have been hilarious if Biden would have would have would have done it to Trump. It was just a funny moment to me in that in that whole dialogue, if you can even call it that. But yeah, I agree, Don. I, I don't think there was too much learned. Uh, what I what I really want to see is I want to see a man who in the heat of the battle, whether it's Biden or Trump, I don't care. I just want to see the character of a man to be able to be quiet for a little while and to be able to let somebody else speak and to to give them that respect. It's just another indication to me of what this generation below uh, that that is watching um, sees as normal and as okay and as the the status quo, because if we can do that on the the world's highest stage and the leaders of the world highest stage, then uh, a child has every right to do that to their mom or to their dad. Um, and there's no respect given at all. And whether you're you come from a, a Bible based or a, a, a church background or whatever the case, or or completely unchurched. Mm-hmm there still has to be some kind of respect that you give mutually to somebody. And especially at that stage and that level, I'm really hoping that both of them learn from themselves and uh, what they, uh, what they did and how they trained for this. Uh, And I think the the bigger winner um, in the next debate will possibly be the one who says the least amount, but at uh, says the things that they're supposed to say when they're supposed to say them. I think if if we're looking at, you know, judging some of these debating skills, maybe that's something that we need to go back and just look at and hopefully have them do. But uh, yeah, I think I'm looking forward to the um, the vice presidential debate far more than actually this uh, the, the next two debates. I, I'm looking forward to Pence-Harris uh, going at it. And I don't think I'll watch another presidential debate. I was just going to say, I'm, I'm a little bit with Jeremy there in terms of <clears throat> my perspective on the debates. I think over the last 10, 15 years, 20 years, even since college, I've really been grown increasingly disillusioned with the uh, with even investing time in watching presidential debates for a variety of reasons, but primary of which I think we've just seen a complete unraveling of civil discourse and the ability to even be willing to be pinned down. I think increasingly over time, you find presidential candidates willing to say platitudes that mean nothing and everything at the same time, but rarely, if ever, taking a stand on a hill and saying, this is what I believe and this is how I will do what I say I will do. Increasingly, that's that's like it's it's like seeing the Loch Ness monster in a in a debate, and so I mean that's one reason why you know you you asked what our favorite moment of the debate was. My favorite of the moment, my favorite moment was the whole thing because I didn't watch. I just have grown to the point of saying there's not anything beneficial from it because neither neither person will actually come out in civil discourse and actually engage with each other. When one person asks a question, asks a question, the other person just denies, delays, and refuses to answer in any meaningful way. And it's not a debate; it's it's two people blowing wind in a in a storm. Um, and it's not useful to hear what people think because nobody is honest and says what they believe and what they're going to be about. So that's for me. Yeah, I didn't watch any of it. Yeah, I was going to say my favorite moment was <clears throat> you could tell how annoyed. Chris Wallace was getting with Trump early on because Trump was very, 
very uh, good at interrupting. And I don't know if you saw that frustration building early on, but then the best part was a little while after that, maybe 20 minutes in or so, Trump said something that was funny. And did you all see this? Chris Wallace laughed. It's like he broke his moderator character, left his frustration, and something that Trump said about Biden made him laugh. And I thought that was a really unique moment. My least favorite part was just the total chaos that you know some of you guys have already talked about. It was it was sad. I I feel like Trump. While I appreciate his message, and this goes back a little bit to what Jeremy was saying, while I have appreciated his message to players who have been kneeling for the national anthem, he's been blasting them for a lack of respect. I think he needs to set a better standard and show a little bit more respect on a stage like this. I think he might have a little bit more justification in coming after people for a lack of respect if he handled himself with a little bit more respect. And his his uh, the folks that support him will say, well, that's what we like about him. You know, he gets down in the mud, he fights, he fights for us. And he'll say, well, I, I had to jump in the whole debate because Biden would lie and I wasn't going to get any help from the moderator. So I had to jump in. But I, I think there is a better way, you know, like Jeremy, I appreciate your your focus on respect. And Ethan goes to your point of civil dialogue. That's what I, I really liked about Ted Cruz back in 2016. I, I was really a big supporter of his. He was intelligent. He was a principled guy, and he wanted to discuss these things and figure out solutions. Um, so that was my summary of the debate. Yeah, it was interesting for me. So my favorite part of the debate was actually the anticipation of the debate. I was excited for it because I thought, okay, here's where we're going to see you know, who's able to interact with and present a better message. And for me, I thought it would be clear who would win. My least favorite part of the debate was the actual debate itself, because I thought that Trump didn't allow Biden to have time to even make a mistake, right? It was so like my heart was pounding through the whole thing. Like I was amped up at the end of it. Like I was just like at a sports, you know, a a sports game or event that like ended in a tie and it just felt really weird. And it was like, if that's the level of what we're about as a country, you know, that's not, it's not a great, that's not a great feel. And it's interesting kind of to your points, you know, Trump is a big law and order, law and order, law and order, but he doesn't present his own arguments as cogent and law and order on the stage. It's chaos, right? And he's against chaos, but yet he brings K, he brought chaos to the stage. And it was like, you know, A, let the guy breathe, let the guy talk. He'll probably give you an opportunity to get after him even more. And I, I thought that Trump did did his own self in um, by continually, he just showed himself to be a buffoon. And, and it was it was frustrating to watch. So hopefully, again, I think, Jeremy, you mentioned it, but uh, hopefully they'll learn and we'll able to, I think the next one's a town hall setting. And it'll be interesting to see how they interact and, and hopefully a higher level of decorum there. Oh, I was just going to say my in my favorite line uh, from the debate was at one point the moderator said um, while they were both screaming at each other, he said, gentlemen, do you realize you're both talking at the same time? It was the line that kind of struck me because it was such an understatement of how ridiculous the whole program was. But they I think the media and everyone drew it up that way, the all the artwork ahead of the debate looked like MMA promo fight, you know, posters all over the place and and they kind of hyped it like it was going to be a shouting match fist fight and and that's what we got and it was like like you've all mentioned before it was 
extremely disappointing on many levels. You know, there were time Trump looked like a bully and, and Biden lost his words. But which one of us wouldn't lose our words when we were getting screamed at for an hour and a half? So it, it was a mess. And I'm hoping they can modify things enough. You know, because they talked about, well, your campaign agreed to follow these guidelines through the debate. Well, that they're just not going to do that. So they're going to have to find ways. You know, we talked about it as we were getting started for tonight. Turn their mics off and put them in a soundproof, soundproof cage and that kind of stuff. You almost have to do that. And well, now we'll have to put President Trump in a you know plexiglass anyway, so he isn't shedding the virus on everyone else. But um, yeah, it was a nightmare. And I'm hoping they can, because you come out of it, nobody's changing their mind out of that. I don't think you're just going to, not that, you know, as to Ethan's point, maybe you're not going to change your mind anyway, no matter what the debates, because of the way they spin everything. But um, I really hope that, that the future ones can be a little more civil. Yeah, not not that I'm a Biden supporter, but one thing I did think he did well that Trump did not do well is he just he made some eye contact with the camera. And I think it was a simple, a simple approach, but he tried to appeal to the voters. And I didn't necessarily agree with what he said. You know, I don't think he was spewing forth a bunch of truth when he did it, but he made a real effort to connect with those watching. Like I felt like he was connecting. Right. He's he's appealing to me. Trump. Yeah, it was just he, he was just a big, bad guy and didn't really care who was connecting with him at all. So again, hopefully, you know, Trump as he's in quarantine's got time to rewatch that and hopefully learn, take a little bit of humble pie and, and learn from that. So we'll see. Well, he's driving we'll around on parades around the hospital right now. He's not self-reflecting. He's a special guy. <laughs> right. What a president. So, yeah, we got, yeah, seriously. Well, yeah, what a time we got, what, T minus uh, less than a month, right? Before the election. Is that, are we about right? Was it November? Is it November 3rd? That oh is my correct. Goodness. Wow. Yeah, November 3rd. So yeah, I've already, you know, this episode. I've already voted like 30 times. So <laughs> fight fire with fire. Good call, Don. Good, good captaincy. All right. Well, that's, uh, that's enough of the presidential debate. Uh, again, turn it over to Ryan. This week in calling your shot, we're going to discuss favorite books. So uh, this is uh, a topic near and dear to some of our hearts for those of us who enjoy reading. And there may be some of us who don't read as much. So this will be interesting to hear uh, where we all line up with favorite books. So if you guys just want to share what your favorite book is, maybe for a listener, this could be an opportunity for, the, for them to hear about books they've not heard of before. And depending on how you pitch the book, uh, you may have another fan out there somewhere. So let's just start up here with Don. Don, uh, what about you? Well, I was trying to debate. I was hoping I wouldn't have to go first. So because um, I was trying to decide what you clowns were going to say, if you guys were going to get all spiritual on us and, and put in the spiritual books, or were you just going to go straight out, uh, straight up? I'll, I'll go slumming with you, Don. All right, can... Perfect. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Perfect. So, so I came prepared with two books uh, in case I needed to. So I'm just going to stay and say these two books. So first one I'm going to start out with is my my Christian godly book, and that is The Grace Awakening by Chuck Swindoll. Love this book. This book really, really, really spoke to me um, about, oh, I'd say 14, or no, I'm sorry, 17, 18 years ago. Um, and uh, Grace Awakening, it was just an amazing book. It's one book I've read 
multiple times. I've had uh, done multiple uh, study studies with uh, groups in it with the book, and it is just an amazing, amazing. It communicated to me what grace really, uh, what grace was really like. Something that I never really grasped growing up. And something that I, I think, I don't know if it was something that just in our circles, in our, uh, that we really uh, talked a lot about in a way that, you know, spoke to people who were broken, people who were, who didn't deserve the, the way God reaches out his hand to each and every one of us. So that was something that I, I, I truly, truly enjoy that book. I always have it uh, very close to my heart and um, I think it's a, a great inspiration and I recommend anybody to uh, go ahead and, and take a read if you haven't, if you haven't had a chance to, to take that one in. Now the, my book, uh, my, my other book that I read uh, that is my favorite, it is Dune by, uh, by uh, Frank Herbert. It's just a, it's I it's one of these um, it's a science fiction book. I don't know why. I just it just it's it was a book that I read that brought back lots of cozies, lots of of, of uh, I don't know what it was. I just remember sitting up in my up on our couch uh, with a nice afghan, um, you know, a nice uh, curled up in that with this book. And for whatever reason, I just got lost in it. I don't know why. It's a, it's a, I'm not a huge, huge science fiction guy. I love science fiction, but I'm not, I wouldn't say my, I'm like, uh, you know, I'm a diehard science sci-fi guy, but for whatever reason, that book just was really great. Just the twists and turns and, and it just did a, had a, it was just a memorable book for me that I remember. So that's why those, I'll be saying those two books. Did you, did you say doomed Don? I said Dune, D-U-N-E by Frank Herbert. That's, I, that's I'm a really great, surprised. That's a great pick, Don. It's a good pick. I'm really surprised you didn't have a Joel Rosenberg book, Don. Yeah, you know, I, I thought about that. They're definitely one of my, my top five, but uh, but yeah, I had to go with those two. Okay, thanks, Jeremy. How about you? Well, if I if I have to go back and pick something that I I mean, back when I was a kid, I guess even in high school, maybe, and it was. <laughs> probably the first book I actually read all the way through that without uh, cliff notes. Um, but I like the guy's styles, Jules Verne. I, I really enjoy his, his writing and around the world in 80 days to me was one of the most fun reads because it's a short book and it only takes a couple hours to get through, but it takes you in this crazy, you know, just different uh, pathways that you would never think possible with his trip and what he comes in contact with and how Passepartout comes into the picture, his, his, uh, little helper and, um, just the messes he gets himself in and then out of, and it's competitive. It's weird because it's competitive. I mean, he, he says, I'm going to go around the world in these 80 days and he gets these people to bet on him. And, uh, anyway, I just like Jules Verne. I like, I like how he writes, um, so that's my kind of fun one. Um, recently, I have read a book called Not a Fan by Kyle Eidelman. And it was a book that I was given. Um, actually, I picked up at a pastor's conference in Rockford, Illinois. And I read it. And he makes the he makes the uh, claim, basically, that he uses the whole sports spectrum to say, you know, you're... You're, you may you may just be a fan of Christ, but you might not be uh, really part of Christ. 
And he distinguishes between those who are fans of God and those who are really, truly his disciples. And about three years ago, maybe it's maybe it's longer than it's had to be. It's got to be at least five years ago. I've read that once a year just to re uh, set my rudder about my 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 actual discipleship to Christ. And uh, I've really enjoyed the book. It's it's a quick book. It's got some testimonials of people who have gone through difficult times in life, uh, who were just essentially fans of God, but really not having great personal relationships and walks with him. And so uh, that's just been a real encouragement to me um, in the last five years. Thank you. Next up, I've got Ben. Yeah, so I'm not a, a extremely avid reader, but I do I do try to try to read a little bit and expand my horizon. So I kind of thought about books that have come back to me. I was going to go with Lord of the Rings since Ryan was such a big fan of that trilogy. Those are some great books to read. Um, a book that we've got, <laughs> a book that we've, uh, all right. So I'll start with my kind of more pop culture one. I, over the years would, I, I'd like to listen to, there's a um, talk radio, sports radio in the afternoons, a guy by the name of Dan Barrero, does the afternoon show on, on the Minnesota sports radio. And he would do a lot of interviews with a guy named Vince Flynn and Vince Flynn writes a uh, Mitch Rapp series. It's several books long, but Vince Flynn, I, I just really enjoyed those interviews and that's what kind of turned me onto those books. And I've read most or all of those books that he wrote. He unfortunately is um, the author passed away a few years ago from a cancer uh, fight with cancer, but he was a he was a pretty godly guy, and and Dan Barrero is you know he'll he'll make it known that he he is not. So they would have a really respectful back and forth, but have a pretty good back and forth during the course of their interviews. And I remember uh, kind of a, a eulogy that Barrero did on the radio to Vince Flynn after he passed away, and. I still re I, I still remember it. I, I thought it, it, it was really well said, but just the respect that he had for him, even though he didn't believe what um, Vince Fil Vince Flynn believed, he um, really connected with him. So that that's kind of the re re reason for those books. But then another book that we've I've done with um, my wife and our small group a few years ago was uh, Tim Keller. I, I'm sure some of you are familiar with Tim Keller. Quite a a kind of, you know, modern theologian. And, um, he, the book we went through was the reason for God, which is a, it, it's a, a book that examines a lot of the kind of the world's arguments for does God really exist and, and the different steps along the way there. And it's a book that takes some time to get through because it's a lot to chew on, but, um, it was really well done and really thought provoking and our small group really enjoyed it. And I, we've, uh, kind of gone back and looked at segments of the book again, just to reread it and, and think about things some more. And it was a really uh, beneficial book for our small group. And I really enjoyed that one. That's awesome. Thanks, Ben. You know, what, what was the name of the Vince Flynn book? Well, there's a whole series of them. It's the Mitch Rapp series, American Assassin. Yeah, I mean, they're real pop culture kind of spy and espionage uh, kind of books, but really, really enjoyed those and the author. Yeah, but I, I had a chance to meet Vince Flynn on one of his book signings. I went to one of the uh, local uh, bookstores here. It was It's not around anymore. It's called Once Upon a Crime. And I met Vince Flynn 
uh, got his book signed and he, I mentioned to him, I, I told him, I was like, I love listening to you, listening to you and, and Dan Barrero uh, go back and forth with each other. And he thoroughly appreciated that. And uh, he's just a real genuine guy, man. Uh, wish he was still around because he wrote, yeah. he wrote some fantastic stuff. I just have read every single one of his books. And I was that one that one ran through my mind as well, or his his writing. So. Yeah, I won a, one of the books, I won a signed copy of it through a K-Fan contest oh, that they did. So I got I got a signed copy of one of his books. So that That's awesome. awesome. That's awesome. Nice. All right, Matt, how about you? Well, from a comic book perspective, you can't beat Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> That's probably true. That's so good. Good stuff. Was one, of, was one of my favorite books as a, as a young person. I think that was a family favorite, uh, Calvin and Hobbes, so comic book. Probably the book that that captured my fancy as a as a youngster, probably, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, was a biography of the life of D.L. Moody. Just an incredible, incredible man. And, and the thing that stuck out to me uh, in that uh, biography was D.L. Moody committed his life to Christ, and he was challenged uh, by a saying that said, the world has yet to see what one man wholly committed to God can do. And D.L. Moody set forth to be that man. And at the end of his life, D.L. Moody said, the world still has yet to see what one man fully committed to God can do. After all the things that D.L. Moody had done uh, and and obviously his legacy still lives on today. So for me, that as a young man, that was challenging uh, to see that you know one of the heroes of the faith would would, would say that and, and humbly recognize that I, he didn't in his mind he wasn't fully committed though certainly one of the most committed that that the world has ever seen. One uh, one from a maybe more secular perspective. So I'll, you know obviously we we enjoyed to golf together and I enjoyed I enjoy watching the. PGA golf and so does my dad and and uh, we'd often watch the Masters together in U.S. Open and in 2002 it's back when Tiger Woods was pretty awesome my dad and I got tickets to the PGA Championship at Hazeltine and so I was out there for three of the four days and it was cool Tiger did not win but he came in second and it was just really cool to see so I was very much into it and two years later John Feinstein wrote a book called uh, Open Inside the Ropes at Beth Page Black, which if you remember, that was the first time the U.S. Open was played at a public course. So it was like phenomenal, right? New York was going nuts and Tiger actually won that. And, and, and John wrote a book about the inner workings of that. And he followed Tiger around. And just for me, it was a behind the scenes because it was the same year that I was so amped about PJ. So I was watching it and I was very intimately involved with it uh, throughout that year because I was going to see it live. So I followed Beth Page Black very closely in that U.S. Open there. And then to read that book just kind of cemented the, the legacy of who Tiger Woods was from as a golfer, not so much as a man, but as a golfer, uh, it was pretty incredible. So so what was the name of that book, Matt? The book by John Feinstein uh, is called Open, Inside the Ropes at Beth Page Black. Boy, I certainly didn't give myself enough room to write all these books. You guys are hitting me with multiple books. I thought I thought we were calling this favorite book, but that's fine. This is like the movie one last week. How can you narrow it down to one single item yeah. for these kind of categories? I know. I know. It's tough. All right, Ethan, what do you got? Well, I'm glad that I'm not the only one with more than one book. Uh, let me say that first. So it is hard to choose, but um, 
I'm going to, in terms of the fun book, I'm going to choose a book that my dad introduced me to when I was in probably junior high, maybe by a, a Western author named Louis L'Amour. If, uh, if anybody in the audience is familiar with Westerns, he wrote a lot. He was a prolific writer. But my favorite book is actually not a Western. It's a book that he wrote that was set in the time period of the end of the Middle Ages and the beginnings of the Renaissance in Europe called The Walking Drum. And um, it's just an epic swashbuckling tale of love and adventure, battles, uh, it, it's historically set in just some really unique times in history that I don't think you get to read about very much. And, um, and the, the book is long. It's like 800 pages long. But he does cover so much of what was going on in the world at that time uh, in terms of the beginning of, of trade caravans, in the beginning of <clears throat> um, the Renaissance and science and so many of the things that were coming out of the Dark Ages. And it's just a fascinating story of as he weaves this fictional story about the main character in with all of these historical events and he interacts with famous people um, through the course of the story. And so it's just a really well-written book that really tickles uh, my um, enjoyment of history and uh, enjoyment of reading um, well-written books. So that's number one. And then number two, uh, on a more serious note, I think for me, in the last year or so, I've been reading uh, a series of lectures by a seminary professor called um, Moving from Moral Formation to Spiritual Formation. The seminary professor's name is John Coe. He's out at uh, Biola Seminary. The, the premise of his, of his lectures is just unpacking what it looks like for us as followers of Jesus to move from a place where our walk with God is primarily predicated on, dependent on, and motivated by moral formation. Um, not that our movement towards moral things is bad. It's not all bad. It's good. We're called to choose to do good things. We're called to obey God's commands. But he fleshes out, I think, the reality of as we mature in our walk with the Lord, he, his desire is to not leave us in a place where we are dependent on our own good deeds, our own efforts, uh, but to go deeper and deeper into our relationship with him, growing more dependent upon him and learning to walk moment by moment, day by day, seeking him first, just for himself, not for what he can do for us. And, and I think that shift has been really earth shaking for me in a number of ways. I think, you know, you guys like me, I think grew up in fairly conservative circles where there, there was lots of emphasis on our performance and our works and doing the right thing. And, and that's not a bad thing. It's not all bad. Um, but it's easy for that to become very much of our identity. And so it's, it's been really refreshing and encouraging for me to just be on this journey of what does it look like to love God for his sake um, not to just do good because it's what's expected or what I should do and to try and perform. So that's, that's been a really influential uh, book that I've been reading and rereading uh, the last year or so. Thank you. As usual, Dr. Dobson. Right. Hey, I didn't realize Louis L'Amour ventured away from Western. So that, that is news to me. He, he, hey, wrote, hey, Ryan, he wrote two books. He wrote two books that were not Westerns. Yes, Matt. Ryan, you're, you're writing all these down, right? Well, I'm trying. Yeah. 
Well, and leave it to e- should- you leave it to Ethan to uh, you know hit up the eight hundred pager. You know, <laughs> oh my time. It's you know, I think mine's well, eighty. And that include the word swashbuckling. In yeah, the I, know. I, I wrote that down. It's great. Okay, Google. Swashbuckling. I, I thought we didn't use Google to confirm things here. Brilliant. Not Bible things, Ryan. Swashbuckling we can use Google for. Perfect. Brilliant. Uh, no, I was thinking, Ryan, you could send out a, a list at least to us, and then maybe we put it on this podcast, you know, as far as the uh, – the description of that, if you kind of list, I don't know if that's got unlimited characters or not, Don, but yeah, there's a lot of good things. I didn't write them all down, but uh, it'd be good to take a look. Okay. Well, I'll just share mine before I turn it over here to Ben for um, his uh, uplifting segment. So I would say mine is the Bible. So I'm going to go with that for my favorite book. I'll keep it simple. I'll keep it basic. I will keep it uh, very uh, worldviewish. Thank you. Thank you. And if you're gonna if you're gonna drill down on me, I'll go Romans. How about that? Romans in the Bible, my favorite book. Is that it, I, I, now? I'm getting some negative oh. reactions here. I'm not sure why my Christian friends are throwing stones at me for calling the Bible my favorite book. <laughs> This world, this world is turned upside down. Where, where's that British army when I need them? <laughs> well, I think they're swashbuckling somewhere. Why don't, you, uh, why don't you take your Woody Woodpecker and <laughs> hit the road, buddy? This is... <laughs> yeah, you and your nanny can go uh, <laughs> swashbuckle in Romans, but... Um, yeah, I think I think we all assume that the Bible would be number one. I think the, the question was outside of the greatest book of all time. Um, but well, yeah, okay. no, no doubt. Romans, you could make an argument for. So I'm not. Gonna- yeah. Well, I mean, truth be told, I just I have not been reading a lot lately. I, I'm not I'm not an avid reader. I don't I don't consider myself great at comprehension in terms of, of reading a book. So it's never been something I've enjoyed doing sitting down. I, I see benefit to it. And when I went to my grad work, I was forced to do it. And I did come across some good books. In fact, one of you guys recommended a good book to me that I enjoyed. I think it was you, Jeremy, uh, called Raving Fans. Do you remember that one? Oh, yeah. It's a great little book. Yeah. So that that was really good when it came to customer service. And then another uh, non-spiritual book that stood out to me in my graduate studies was called Good to Great by Jim Collins. That was yeah. that was a good book too. So anyway, if you guys want me to veer off into uh, non-Jesus related material, I'll just go with those two. <laughs> All right. And with that, we'll turn it over to, to Ben. Ben, what you got tonight? I'm not sure how to segue from... <laughs> oh, man. Special. Okay, let me let me gather myself here for a second. Okay. <laughs> that was a hard foul. He's going up to the line, shaking it off. I know. Just rub a little dirt on it. You get back right. in the game. That's Come right. On. Okay, so feel good story of the week, Ryan. The segment's called Feel Good Story of the Week. Okay, um, so here we go. Last week, or a couple weeks ago, actually, there was a farmer in North Dakota. So this one's a little closer to our Midwestern roots that some of us have. Um, Farmer in North Dakota actually had a a cardiac arrest while he was harvesting his crops, which is a bad start to the story, I'll admit. But he had uh, his whole, his community, the other farmers, 60 farmers from around the area all came in and harvested his, all of his land. They 
in total collected over 50,000 bushels full of the different crops that they were harvesting, did it all in one day to help this guy out so he wouldn't lose all of his crop and, and harvest that he had put all his time and energy into for the, for the, um, over the season. And then beyond that, they did what, what every good Midwestern uh, group would do. They did a pancake breakfast to raise money for him. So they, they did that to help offset some of his medical expenses. But um, yeah, it was a, it was a cool story that I saw that when a family, you know, had this big time challenge of cardiac arrest and the individual he's, he's on the, on the mend still in the hospital actually. So it was pretty serious, but um, is on the mend now and hopefully be back home soon. But um, just how the community came around this family, took care of all their crops, uh, raised some money for his medical expenses. And it really, to me, uh, I thought in my mind, it, it reminded me of the Bible verse where it talks about a cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart, right? So this guy, if he would have been all by himself, family all by themselves, they would have they it, they it would have all rotted away and and you know he would have been in terrible financial shape but he had this community so this group all came together and and helped him out and uh, took care of the immediate needs that he had and uh, hopefully it'll set him up to to come back home once he's healthy and and get back into it but um, yeah kind of a fun to me anyway a feel good story for this week. Hey, thank you for quoting my favorite book in your story, Ben. The three three strands that came from my book. Thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you, Ben. I we're uh, forever grateful for yeah. that. Ryan, I don't think it came from Romans. It didn't come from Romans. <laughs> no, uh, I, I, I agree with that. I was referring to my first answer, the Bible, but yeah, thank you. Thank you for that clarification. <laughs> Good stuff. Ethan, why don't you close us out with Fix Your Eyes? Yeah, well, thanks. I don't know if you guys remember back to our days of middle school or high school, but there was a uh, there was a a saying back then that went along with a line of clothing called "No Fear," and I don't know if you um, ever had a T-shirt. I begged my way into one eventually, and my parents got me one for my birthday or Christmas or something. It was a sweet hot pink T-shirt that I think probably looked a little crazy, but <clears throat> I, I'm always rem I always remember that fondly uh, because I think in our world right now. I think anxiety and fear um, is running rampant. Um, I recently read that the, uh, the in a survey that had just been done recently that before COVID, um, eight to nine percent of college students admitted anonymously to struggling with anxiety, dep depression, fear, and even considering suicide. Um, and now, after we're in COVID for six months, that number's risen above twenty-five percent. Um, and if you look around the world, fear is a a very real presence in different people's lives. And I know it has been for me. Um, I know fear and anxiety has been something that, that I've struggled with at times uh, in my life. Um, fear of failure, fear of what people think, and just wrestled through anxiety. And so I just thought in the midst of all this, I want to point our hearts to a passage that um, has been the most significant for me in this particular area, giving me hope, um, recentering my soul. Um, when I find myself beset by fear and anxiety. And so I'm going to take us to the Old Testament, to an unusual passage, perhaps, uh, that you may not have thought of as related to fear, and it's Joshua chapter 2. 
And the story here is one that perhaps many of us are familiar with. It's the story of Rahab. Uh, It's the story of the children of Israel getting ready to enter the promised land. And Joshua sends two spies to spy out the land. And and as you may remember, um, they find themselves at the house of a prostitute woman named Rahab when the soldiers come looking for them. And she lies, says that they've left already, hides them, um, and then brings them out. And I just wanted to draw our attention to um, the explanation, because if you think about it, she is uh, a, a citizen of Jericho. She hasn't met. Jewish people before, the Israelite people. Um, and the question becomes, I think it, it throbs in this passage, why would she risk her life to hide these two men um, and to tell them what they were looking for? Uh, what, why take that risk, the risk of being captured, the risk of being executed for treason to her people? Um, and if you look in this chapter, it's interesting how the biblical author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit points us to it with a literary device called a chiasm. Um, And all of chapter two is this almost like a bullseye with concentric rings. It, It starts and ends. And throughout the chapter, if you notice from the end in the beginning, it moves closer and closer and closer, almost like a bullseye pointing us to a couple of key verses in the middle of the chapter. Um, And I'm just going to read those. Rahab says to the men in verse nine, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. As we know, the story doesn't end with the spies getting away. The story actually continues when the people of Israel come back and conquer Jericho, that they actually rescue Rahab and her family. Um, They redeem her out of the destruction of the battle. And and that's a great story. But the reality is the story doesn't end there either, uh, because God rest chooses to rescue this woman. And actually, not only does he choose to rescue her from a life of not knowing him, but he brings her into a family. We find out in other passages of scripture that she actually gets married to a Jewish man. We find out later that she's actually in the line of David, King David, descended from a prostitute Gentile woman. And not only that, when we look at Matthew chapter one, we see the picture that it comes full circle that she's actually in the line of Jesus. Um, And we see this picture of redemption of what God does in the midst of her fear as she sees something greater to be fearful of, and that's God. And I just want to point us to a couple of quick things um, to reset our hearts, perhaps when you are feeling anxious or fearful in a world that often feels very tenuous. The first thing I want us to notice is this chapter is not really for Rahab. It's not really to point our eyes to Rahab. She's a demonstration of God's power. But the bigger picture here is the people of Israel. Because if you notice the chapter is written, it begins and it ends with the children of Israel fearfully standing on the bank of the Jordan, where 40 years before this generation had been children watching their parents turn away in fear and not choose to trust God and enter the promised land. And God in his mercy and his grace in his providence uses a Gentile woman to speak words of truth and affirmation and reminder to the, to the, to the Israelite people 
to say, this is who your God is. We know it. Why don't you know it? You need to take steps of faith and walk forward trusting him like your parents didn't because he ultimately will prove himself faithful. Um, And ultimately, the passage shows us she claims three things that I think are really significant here. One in verse nine, Rahab says that God is committed to keeping his promises. She says, I know the Lord has given you the land. She's she's reminding the Israelite people of God's promise to Abraham um, that they so easily forgotten. She also, in verse 10, she sees God as powerful. She lists a couple of examples of things that the people in Jericho had heard God do. And lastly, in verse 11, she sees God as being relational and personal. Uh, It says, verse 11, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And I think for me, when I um, so easily find myself giving in to fear, not trusting God, um, it's because I've lost track of one or the other or all three of those things. And I need to be reminded that our God is one that keeps his promises, uh, that he's powerful and that he's personal. Um, and he provides us with the foundation to stand on in the midst of fear, in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of uncertainty. We can move forward and cross the Jordan, um, trusting him to work, trusting him to take the broken pieces of our failures and weave them into his story of redemption. Um, and so I hope for you, it's, it's encouraging. I know every time I look back at this passage, I'm encouraged. It brings me to worship, brings me to humility, um, and it makes it okay that I don't have it all together, just like the children of Israel didn't, um, but he does. And so I, I just want to encourage us to remember um, who God is and how we can depend on him. That's great, Ethan. As, as uh, one of our favorite sayings is, that will preach. Thank you for uh, thank you for that challenge. Uh, that is a wrap for episode eleven. This was six in the mix talking faith, family, sports, and politics. Find our episodes on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. Review us and leave a comment. Visit our Facebook page at Six in the Mix Podcast and comment on what topics you'd like us to discuss. We are also on Twitter at Six in the Mix Pod. Join us on our journey.